With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. Good to be back and delighted to welcome one of our all-time faves, one of the all-pro lineup on the show, the brilliant Greg Brady, all the way in Toronto, back to Chinwag over the latest stories from the big leagues. We're going to dive into some of your questions from the mailbag as well. Thanks very much indeed for those. So let's get straight to it. And welcome, Mr. Greg Brady. Greg Brady, it is always a pleasure to see you in person. You and I have been working a fair bit together over the last couple of months. We were just musing as we were about to start recording the show. How utterly sick of my face are you on a, on a scale of one to ten? Not terribly, not terribly. And, uh, and I wish I was seeing it in person. I, I had tickets for five euro matches my uh, uk based friends were quite jealous they got shut out of the ballot as you mm. call it we'd call it a lottery you call it a ballot that's <laughs> okay we get some th- words wrong over here too True. and then all of those tickets five for five it's like a baseball player having a great day is at the leadoff spot uh five <laughs> for five they all get canceled they all get oh. refunded so oh. no england croatia no no holland austria and amsterdam which was supposed to be next yeah, thursday semi-final no semi-final well. now semi-final. are you going to any of the games uh, no, I'm not disappointingly, although I am going to be watching it uh, religiously with with my two boys, of course, who having had the successful season that West Ham have had uh, and I've told them to drink that in because that's not going to yeah, happen. You never know. You years. never know when it, when yeah. it happens again. That's exactly. Right. That's what I'm hoping will, you know, shine on England and, you know, and maybe we'll have a, a similar similarly. Well, actually, I say that, you know, the World Cup was was a successful turn. So maybe we can. If Absolutely. We I think there's I think this is. Nobody wants to pick England um, to win, but I think there's three teams that can win. And this will all, uh, you know, somebody will, will tra- track down this podcast five weeks from now and go, wow, you, you really do you even watch the sport. But it's <laughs> it's France, it's Belgium and it's England. Although I'm selling myself on Portugal. I think this yeah. Portugal team more talented than the 2016 team. The, the, I really the, believe that there was no Bruno Fernandes. There's no Ruben Diaz. They, Ronaldo's still Ronaldo. I think they're a bad look. Think about how bad they were also in the in the group stage. Three mm-hmm. draws. They gave up four goals. 
this team's a powerhouse, but mm. I think we're we're hesitant to pick them because we're like, well, they won last time, so mm-hmm. who does it twice in a row? Th- that team, yeah, that definitely. Don't, everyone's raving, uh, and understandably so, about the the France team on paper. But how often does the best team on paper get it done? And, hey, not just in football, but the NFL, quite frankly, as well. North Macedonia mm-hmm. is where I thought you were going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're the new, like, we, we need to link Euro teams this time around with NFL teams, like. Right. And it's tough. You don't want to say North Macedonia are the New York Jets. You, yes. you don't want to do that because the Jets have a lot of infrastructure <laughs> and, and plenty of opera. We, we don't want to say the Detroit Lions are Scotland. Think how that oh, would alienate people. I guarantee you Scotland. Be, we were talking about this the other night in our, in our five aside <laughs> uh, that uh, Scotland will be England. One nil. My optimism is already burst, right? <laughs> one nil. Th- third minute goal. Scrappy set piece goal. England will create very little and and, and uh, could plow out of the tournament because of the Scots. You heard it here first. Well, lo- that, that, then that would make them not the Detroit Lions because they'd A, win an important game, let alone a playoff game since 1991. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I'm covering first summer I'm over there in Euro 96. I'm covering Queens Club, right? The Stella Artois, Barron's Court Tube Stop. That's how I remember that. I know it well. And it's the semifinal on the Saturday. And Thomas Mooster is actually the number one seed. Uh, He couldn't play well on grass. So I think he loses to Stefan Edberg. It was a very retro uh, summer, the summer of Britpop. uh, But Edberg and Becker played in the final in 96. And they were both kind of older guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They first met in the uh, in the Wimbledon final in 1988. So they're older. And uh, and we hear a roar in the stands at center court at, at Stella Artois. We hear a roar. And what that roar is, is the save of the, the Gary McAllister penalty miss after it's yes. already one nil England. Yes. So we hear that. And you know what comes next. About a minute later, Everyone's we hear gone. a bigger roar. It's the Gaza goal off off the foot, the volley off the foot that makes it two nil. So With the I have tremendous yeah, yeah. memories of that. And and again, you can't look what at a, your phone. Yeah, you have no idea what's going on. So it becomes whisper. It's a game of broken telephone. Are you sure? Yeah, Scotland just had a penalty missed, and Gaza went right down the field and basically from midfield and scored. And it's two nil England. Yeah, that happened. You know what, Greg Brady? I blink. I it feels like only yesterday. Yeah, in many ways. Uh, that what a summer that was. What a summer. That was uh, good times and uh, a lot to be getting into for us on this week's show. Good to have you back on this show, by the way. We've got a radio together, but great to have you back in the ESPN house. Let's start with, um, well, we've got to start with Julio. Uh, The big story of the last seven days, no doubt about it. It wasn't a surprise that he was off and out of Atlanta because, hey, he dropped that bomb on national television a couple of weeks back with uh, Shannon and Skip. But we were speculating where the destination would be, and there seemed to be a few, a few logical and viable landing spots. The Titans get the job done. A twenty twenty two second round pick. They get a fourth rounder in twenty twenty three as well. They're flipping that for a sixth rounder in the twenty three draft, uh, and they're absorbing, of course, all of the dollars and cents to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, so. Uh, Atlanta off the hook. And that was what a lot of this deal was predicated on, uh, that they needed to balance the books. But nevertheless, they're losing one of their all-time greats, Greg Brady, and he's landing in a in a contender's spot. So the question is, is Julio strong enough at age 32 with all of those miles on the clock to take the Titans to the next level? Yeah, I think that I know there's football left. There obviously is, and the Titans obviously feel that way. And if they hadn't stepped up and, and given that... It's times like these, Nat, you always want to know what the second best offer was, because I don't think we look and say the Falcons overpaid. 
Remember as well, the Falcons own Twitter account to go uh, social media. It's not everything, but it's something put out a report that that the price to get Julio Jones out of Atlanta. This is the Falcons official Twitter account. It's not a fan blog or anything. The Falcons official Twitter account puts out a tweet that says uh, reports are the price is a first round draft pick for the Atlanta. <laughs> That's like me saying the price for my uh, 2010 Hyundai Santa Fe in the driveway right now is 100,000 pounds. Like you can want to get it. You can you can hope that somebody will pay it. Uh, and I love that car. It's it's you know, it's still what got color, a couple of years in it. What are we looking at? Has it got, has it got a Dukes of Hazard number on the side? Zero. Yeah, no, but it does the general Lee Horn, which again, a little out of style. <laughs> nice, I think nice. you'd concur. I think yeah. we've evolved uh, from that. So, you know, we're all, we're very rightly careful about the flag, but it does not have any, it doesn't have the number or the flag or the horn, uh, or, the nor do I look like uh, Tom Wopat or John Schneider. I caught the Jigsaw as a reboot with uh, with Jessica Simpson and, of the, course uh, you did. and the guy from American <laughs> Pie on the other day. I mean, it just happened to be on. and I <laughs> Just happened to see it, yeah. The first rounder, the Falcons were looking for. but they Yeah, they were looking for that. And you're thinking, now, had you asked me then, Nat, and I don't know where your, your side is, I would have said they would get it. I would have thought there's a team that thinks we draft late enough we sit here as a contender. We either made the playoffs last year. Or we just missed or we're 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 taking that arc. We're getting to the divisional playoff round. We think we can. And, and you think about the teams that really do need a, a traditional number one receiver. Well, Cleveland's not one of them right now with the guys they've got with, with Odell and Jarvis Landry. They're not one of them. Um, Pittsburgh. Yeah, you, you can make the case that Pittsburgh uh, does not need an, a number one receiver. They're, they're well stocked, whether we stay with Ben Roethlisberger the next couple of years or not. So it fell to Tennessee to some extent. Now, I am a little surprised. I, I think what's the urgency and what's the second best offer? You're still six weeks away from training camp. Yeah, I don't think the noise was so much because you referenced that Skip and Shannon interview. Um, and I don't think that was so much embarrassing for the Falcons. But I did, I, I, you know, it would have been great to get that camera in Matt Ryan's living room when he heard that interview or saw it because he's mm. thinking, well, now I know it's over. And he may have known anyway. And think about the, yeah. the juxtapose with Atlanta, Nat. You've got a 38-year-old Matt Ryan mm. who's hoping to be better. And, he, and they just, they go and get him Kyle Pitts, yeah. who everybody says, I can't miss tight end. He's going to, he almost, as much as the position's been revolutionized with the Gronkowski's and the Tony Gonzalez's and the, and the uh, Jimmy Graham's at times, Kyle Pitts, highest draft pick ever best, maybe the best college tight end ever. Mm. And you add him to Julio Jones. Well, now in a division really in flux too, right? Drew Brees retires. Carolina is a bit of a mess. I know Tampa's the defending Super Bowl champs, but, and I'm not saying it's this year, there will be a time that that father time sacks Tom Brady. It isn't now. <laughs> But it's coming. So if you're Matt Ryan, you're hanging on for dear life and mm. probably pretty devastating for him to see the trade. And I did mm. think the Falcons could do a bit better. Well, a lot has been made, I think, of uh, of how this enfranchised, no pun intended, uh, Julio was in Atlanta for months. It's all coming out now, of course, that he's known for months. He's known he, he's wanted out for a long time. And, and you would guess, and speculation, but you would guess that given their uh, trajectory together uh, for so many years that... Matt Ryan would have known that this was on the cards. And, uh, and of course, I think when when it went public uh, in the way that it did a couple of weeks back, it, this was uh, inevitable. But it's a great point you make uh, in terms of the timing, because there's no doubt about it that uh, a player of his stature and forget that hamstring injuries uh, are a tricky one. Of course, when you're talking about a 32 year old receiver that's had so long in the league, but I don't think anybody is 
sensibly, incredibly suggesting that he's jumped the shark and he's fallen off a cliff. I think if Julio Jones hits 1,000, 1,100 yards, seven, eight touchdowns next season, nobody's going to be surprised about that, right? So uh, I think you are getting, it's not like a Mo Sanu to the Patriots. Great, Mm -hmm. not exactly the same player, of course, but I was surprised at how little he managed to achieve at the Patriots, Mo Sanu. But nevertheless, you can understand why that type of situation was a 50-50. This to me is as close to a short thing as you can get, at least for a season. And I guess the point is how long are they going to get? This is definitely a win now move from the Tennessee Titans. And I love that, by the way. I think this is a deal, Greg, that is the definition of an incredibly sound and solid bit of business because I think both sides have got uh, a, a, a solid return. I know the Falcons could, could conceivably have held out and got a first, and you're right, and they probably would have done. But a bird in the hand, they've got potentially uh, a negative situation. And again, I'm not suggesting that Julio was kicking off and causing trouble, but if it's just been festering for a long time, let's move on now. It is a new start, a new, uh, a new trajectory, a new generation for the Falcons. And the Titans have got a piece that I think can project them to, to the next level. Look at this offense now. Yeah. And we're big, both big Tannehill fans. And w- he is, of course, one of the resurgent players of, of the last few years. I love this defense because Kevin Bayard, notwithstanding, this is a, a defense that isn't necessarily filled with many marquee names, many big time, big level hitters, but Vrabel's got them playing efficiently in in an organized way. And I think they're going to be, I've been a big fan of Vrabel pretty much since the start of the Titans. And I've talked about this on this show. I think you and I've talked about it Mm -hmm. as well, that when they came over here, you just knew, you just sensed, I, I had an opportunity to spend time with him and some of the vets And you could just tell that this guy's going to work as a head coach. The players like him, but there's a respect level there. The fact he went for it when they played in the London game, they just rolled the dice and went for the win, went for two. Love that fact. And this was in the very early stages of his head coaching career. You flash forward a few years, they are one of the most dynamic teams in the NFL and they're only stronger as a result of this. Does this make them a Super Bowl contender, Greg? The AFC is tricky, and uh, and this is a little bit of what we talked about with Aaron Rodgers and whether he would want to go to the AFC, where you're going to be, you know, you're going to be facing Josh Allen and the Bills, and you're going to be facing Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs for the next half decade, like till Aaron Rodgers is well past forty, even even plays that long. I I still see Tennessee on that second tier, mm. but I think it it. It, I don't want to say it gives them the division. We want to see how Carson Wentz is in Indianapolis. I know there's people that think he's done. I know that's true. Mm. I'm not so sure yet. Um, and I was a big believer in, in Carson Wentz, maybe getting a little too much stick, a little too much criticism until this past year, where it was obviously with him, with Doug Peterson, with the drafting of Jalen Hurts. It was very dysfunctional uh, in 2020 in Philadelphia. But I thought he got blamed a little too frequently in 18 yeah. and 19 when they didn't replicate, um, well, any success. We made the playoffs, but didn't replicate uh, the Super Bowl win. So, yeah, yeah, I think Tennessee is still on that second level, Nat. And and for Atlanta, um, look, look, Tennessee is not good. The, you know, if they have a good season, they're giving up about, what, the 52nd overall draft pick? Right. They'll do that absolutely to get a few good years um, out of Julio Jones. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll clearly do that. And so even the back to my first answer, I'm not arguing the Falcons shouldn't have dealt Julio Jones. They look in the mirror and they say, we're four and 12. Mm. 
keeping Julio Jones is not going to, you know, get, just adding Kyle Pitts alone, knowing we're in salary cap trouble too on the defensive side. Mm. That's not, that's not going to bridge the gap between seven or eight extra wins to get us where we need to go. Um, it's, I'm sure there's a, there's a great lament because if, if you and I had been leaving just in shock that uh, Patriots Super Bowl, and I said to you, not only will they not get back to the Super Bowl, they won't make an AF, they won't make an NFC title game again. Mm. With how shocking the loss was after being up 28-3 and losing in overtime to the Pats, we actually might have believed it, but I'm not sure I thought the, the wheels would come right off. Three under 500 seasons in a row. Mm. With Matt Ryan, a quarterback, well, that should end Julio Jones. And a good running game. That shouldn't be happening. It led to the demise of Dan Quinn, obviously, with an 0-5 start. So I can't tell with the Falcons. Um, I can't tell if they're going to bottom out. I can't tell if almost that's the goal. Um, but mm. like, I, I wouldn't have kept Jones. I just I would have held out for, for possibly the, more if you'd have got closer to July. It's a great shout that the pick is going to be at, realistically, unless something extraordinary happens to Tennessee's season, is going to be in the lower reaches, the deeper waters of the second round for sure. Incidentally, that must be the hangover of all Super Bowl hangovers. Oh. <laughs> the Falcons, right? What is the worst Greg Brady hangover of all time? <laughs> Come on. You know, it might have happened even uh, it hasn't happened during COVID because uh, that's the last thing I want to do is uh, mm-hmm. is doubly flattened. I know uh, they Double say up. alcohol consumption's mm-hmm. gone up. I'm a, you've seen me, Nat. I'm a social drinker. I, I make that really tough call to go from two to three and think that's okay. the line. And, and early morning radio, right? Breakfast radio. It's the last if you, you yeah. realize when you do breakfast radio and you realize when you have little kids that yes. the last thing you want to you, you don't even want a, a mild headache, let mm. alone a massive pouting yes, sledgehammer yeah. on your brain. So uh, it, it hasn't tended to happen too much as an adult. I know I know my limits. If only I knew my limits with all other forms of consumption, uh, eating, <laughs> having a bet once in a while, uh, downloading music. But drinking is uh, it's it's very much. That said, like I said, if uh, if I was coming over for Euro 2020, Different uh, the, story. Taps would be, the taps would be flowing. It's been a long 15 months. We'd head back head uh, back to Barron's Court. The Greg Queens finished weeks ago. I don't care. I want to go back. Um, just a couple of other bits on, on Julio and we'll move on. Just some numbers, ESPN stats and information. Hey, I'm a company man. This dropped. Oli, our producer, dug this one out, actually. So props, Ollie, saluting you for this. Over the past 10 seasons, Julio leads the NFL with 58 uh, games of 100 yards or more uh, receiving. Uh, the Titans as a team, the entire Titans receiving core as a team have had 50 in that same time span. Just to, just to put that into context in terms of the impact that Julio has had. And look, he's clearly generationally one of the great receivers uh, uh, and uh, could conceivably, if he kicks on now this uh, latter phase of his career, because that's where he's at as a 32-year-old receiver. You got how many years do you think he has left in? You know, providing the hamstrings hold up, what are we looking at here? A, a two, three-year the style of receiver he is, and then that's probably all she wrote. I mean, it's, you get exceptions to the rule, Larry Fitzgerald being the most notable, but this this is pretty much what we're looking at, right? 30, 34, 35, and then he'll, he'll hang him up. Yeah, he's got three more years under contract for the Titans. So I find that really intriguing. And obviously, look, with the non-guaranteed nature of the majority of contracts, you can move off a player. Um, There ends up being a dead cap hit as long as the Titans want to compete. Um, And he and Ryan Tannehill, who you mentioned, are kind of going to are kind of going to age together. Tannehill's only a year older uh, than Julio Jones. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I got to think he wants to make the most of his three years. Is there a contract for a Julio Jones at age 35? Maybe there's a one-year deal, mm-hmm. but 
Um, every, you know, they're not, they, wide receivers don't age quite like running backs. We know that you, you better get that money while you still can. And I right. never knock holdouts and I especially don't knock because it's, it's not a, if it was a guaranteed contract and I'd say, look, you're, you're, you know, you're getting paid and they owe you this money and mm-hmm. you've got to fulfill like in the NBA or the NHL and ice hockey or major league baseball, you're getting paid. You should show up. Non-guaranteed contracts are a very different story for me, especially it's for a- running backs. So we've seen the Chris Johnsons, right? And the, uh, yeah. and the Maurice Jones-Drews give it a try. And we saw it famously with Emmett Smith yeah. uh, in 1993 when the Cowboys were defending Super Bowl champs. They went 0-2. Then Monday after that second game, Jerry Jones has the check for Emmett Smith. Like, that's how it works. So right. um, I, think, I think Julio's got at least a few years left in the tank. I, uh, look, he has to. You, you laid that out there. He has to bounce back because what we haven't seen – is an unproductive Julio Jones mm. when he's healthy and plays a full season. That's right. a big, big difference. Mm. If the productivity was starting to wane, most most yards in the league in 2018, and he only had you know 280 yards less than that, missing a game no less in 2019. So mm. I want to write off 2020, but at the same time, I also he's aware he'd be he'd be the most patently aware of anybody that. Age catches up with speed guys yeah. and uh, and and speed changes. Des Bryant would be an obvious example. Antonio Brown, despite all the off-field problems, despite the character issues, saw it happen to him even mm. in his last couple of years as a Pittsburgh Steeler amidst all the all the problems and shenanigans. So, mm. you know, once there's a three in front of your age for a receiver, your best days are probably are probably if they're not behind you, they're coming. It's a great point on the, the distinction with longevity with running backs and receivers for obvious reasons with running backs in, in, in terms of the, uh, the damage that, that they absorb, but also it's very difficult to redefine yourself in a different, like Fitz did. Right. And, and there's the, uh, the all or nothing series when he is getting used to that different role as you know, he's no longer the number one guy he's got to adapt. And, and we see this in the NBA as well, you know, so many times that players get to a certain age, certain level where they've been superstars and bona fide uh, alphas for years and years and not just a time in the pros, but you got to go all the way back to, you know, junior high and upwards. They are the alpha guys. And then suddenly the tail end of it, it is more of a ensemble cast bit part player from the bench receivers. Same thing. You, you might have to readjust and who do you might readjust in terms of the style of receiver he is running backs don't have that luxury. You're, you're, you're there or you're not. And I know that that's different now because the bell cow back is becoming scarcer committee is more prevalent. So maybe that will uh, create options, but I don't think it's this, it, it is a like for like thing in any respects. Let's move on. Uh, you mentioned actually the Cleveland Browns a little bit earlier on. I dug out and pushed this out on my Instagram feed because the Euro is coming up, and I found it flashed up as these things do a memory uh, ahead of the 2016 Euros when Odell Beckham was over, and I interviewed him. We did a piece with him, uh, which was all Euros related, football related. Uh, how did he think? How did he think Portugal uh, Portugal was going to do in 2016? Big what on Portugal, but North Macedonia again. He was, he was <laughs> prescient. He said, "Give it." He said, "Nat, give it four four years." Obviously, he didn't. Oh, did he? He called. He called that. Coming. I think he called that Northern Ireland Wales uh, round of sixteen match. <laughs> Incredible. None of I mean, none of the rest of us saw it coming. He was quite from from memory. We we talked a bit of football, and uh, he was you know fairly literate. He certainly watched the game, like you know, into it. It wasn't just a maybe not Chad Johnson FIFA level. Like who who can top that? Now he's boxing. Like Chad Johnson w- should be a commentator on the Euros. Uh, the American networks have uh, have missed the boat not You're hiring uh, Ocho Cinco, right? Love it. I mean, Ocho Cinco, I, I listen to him commentating on anything, quite frankly, Greg. Uh, Greg, But yeah, on the Euros, no doubt. And so Odell was um, 
jet lagged <laughs> when I interviewed him. Uh, but he was, yeah, a very genial, a very genial guy for a little bit jaded but it flashed up and it got me thinking and i am going to throw this out there and i'm keen to know whether you'll shoot it down in flames instantly whether you might soak it up and say that so maybe you might be fully on board this greg brady early doors and hey ryan Tannehill was the comeback player of the year a couple of years back so we're joining the dots pretty fluently here here it is right now early off-season hot take odell beckham for comeback player of the year i'm liking it. i think beckham goes off next season yeah, I do too. I do too with where that scenario is. I, I think those AFC uh, AFC North games, I almost slipped and said AFC Central for what it used to be. <laughs> oh, but cool. uh, but I, I do remember the Houston Oilers were back in the AFC Central. Oh, They're the yeah. one team sort of not in that rust belt that, <laughs> that didn't really fit. I think it's a great shout by you because I can't think of a quarterback. Alex Smith was obviously always going to be a candidate last year when we see Washington's lack of depth. And, and the problems with Dwayne Haskins. So mm. I, I'm blacking on a quarterback. Here's here's the one I'd give you, and he has to be Sam electric. Donald? Sam Darnold. Mm. Yeah. That's the one thing yeah. that has to work in Carolina, and he has to be phenomenal in his new home, well, uh, also in be, the NFC South. Donald, I'm with you 100%. Wentz could be as well, I guess. He could be, he could be yeah. you know, that could that could happen. Who are the quarterbacks, I guess? Uh, I mean, would I mean, if Jameis... Is the starter in New Orleans and goes off? Would he? That's true. If he gets the time, I I think you and I should make a stand right now and make Aaron Rodgers ineligible because mm-hmm. um, you're not a comeback player of the year if you threaten to host Jeopardy, <laughs> threaten to leave Wisconsin, <laughs> threaten to leave the NFC, and if you just come back to the Packers and you're great, that's not really a Doesn't comeback. Count. That's that's like Elton John being on a retirement tour. No one <laughs> or the Who. No one's buying it. We not know anymore. you're coming back again to take our money and play your songs. We know that's happening. <laughs> I love that. And I love the fact it is a perfect segue into Aaron Rodgers because we have a running order on the show. I know I'm surprised as you are listeners that we, <laughs> we that do, we're following we have, it. <laughs> we, we sketched, we sketched, well, we're not really all these staring his hair out. We have, um, we do. And we have Aaron Rodgers on there because Rodgers, of course, and we suspected as well in the same way we suspected that Julio was going to be a goner from Atlanta, that Aaron Rodgers is probably going to mix it up a little bit longer. Hasn't got involved with any of the Packers uh, organized team activities so far, which is uh, for a number of reasons important, I think, because it is uh, markedly different from what he normally does. That's the first thing to note. Now you could say, well, he's getting on the veterans. They tend to do less and less of this, the older they get, but come on. Uh, If it carries on, he's going to be feeling it in his pocket as well, you know, because the fines are getting levied. But of course, inevitably, Greg, it has stoked up this one once again in the same vein that the Falcons could have held out later in this offseason and done a better deal for Julio. Do you think that there are maybe more twists and turns with this Aaron Rodgers story that actually after it all calmed down a little bit earlier on that maybe, 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 maybe he could still be on his way out of Green Bay this season? I don't think he's playing with Green Bay again. I actually haven't changed that opinion since late you April. Have I do not firm on that. Yeah, yeah. I do not think he'll be back. I don't see enough signs. I I don't see enough. Uh, obviously, the Packers had offseason workouts after the draft, and he's sending. If you're if you're on vacation somewhere and you're shirtless with your fiance in tropical climates, is that passive aggressive or is that just sort of like you're giving everybody else the FOMO, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that that's towards Green Bay. You're not tagging them in your tweet, but you're making them very aware. You're having a great time being away from them. This is leaving the, the leaving your girlfriend after 10 years 
and making sure you've got a picture of yourself at a concert or on a beach somewhere with yep. your new girlfriend or boyfriend. Yes, so it, it's exactly that. I was trying to work out in, in terms of social media athlete faux pas where remember when Floyd Mayweather was doing, a, I think, a, like a live Facebook or an Instagram live with troops, uh, American troops mm-hmm. stationed out in, in the Middle East. And he was showing them around his house and a part of his show around kind of MTV crib style, I think involved either a suitcase or certainly a very large pile of money. <laughs> was, <laughs> talking about anything, probably not the right thing to be, to be concentrating on uh, for that particular initiative. And I wonder whether same thing with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers fans right now, do you really want to be, want to be seeing that? But so, yes, you've been resolute with this, um, that he's, that he's a goner. So why are you so sure? Why do you think this is the end of the road? I think it just, it's about when it came out, on draft day. And I think only Aaron can control that narrative. I, I don't think that's people going to Aaron Rodgers and saying, guess what? If you know, if you don't give me a little more details, throw me a few more breadcrumbs. We're going to let this out. I think Aaron Rodgers, well aware of the storyline and the narrative that we did the draft together with uh, Will Gavin in 2020. And we were really surprised by, uh, by the pick of Jordan love. We just were. And we thought about it at the time. And even though quarterbacks get drafted, Uh, Since the beginning of time, especially late in rounds, when you've got an established quarterback already, even though that's the case, uh, we just knew it would land differently in Green Bay because there's been this great debate. And I think I, you know, I speak of our uh, our colleague, Will Gavin, who's been adamant as a 49ers fan. It's not a big Green Bay Packers fan Mm -hmm. that there's no there's no wiggle room for complaints for Green Bay about all pros. They've had all pro receivers for Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. They've had all pro linemen for Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers. They've had all pro linebackers, Clay Matthews, patrolling the, the you know, uh, in a 4-3 defense as a middle linebacker, was one of the best in the business for almost a half decade. I don't think Aaron Rodgers, unlike maybe a Dan Marino or a Dan Fouts or lots of guys pre-salary cap, Archie Manning could complain about the talent around him. I don't think Aaron gets to do that because how do you keep making the NFC title game? How do you keep doing that? How do you keep winning 12 games every year if you're on a bad football team? So it doesn't ring true, but the fact that he put that out there on draft day Mm. and that leaks and it was, it dominated, uh, it dominated your coverage, my coverage, everybody's football. It was almost like Trevor Lawrence. Who's that? I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Like we're like, we're like a dog getting distracted by a car. uh, And then we start chasing a cat. (laughs) That was, that was Trevor Lawrence supposed to, it's supposed to be a coronation of Trevor Lawrence for Jacksonville. Instead, it's like, well, what would the Broncos pay? What mm. would the rate? What would the you know? What would the charter or the uh, the no, the Broncos and the Raiders? What Raiders, would the Raiders yeah, yeah. move off Derek Carr? What would be the price involved? Would he go to the AFC? Would he stay in the NFC? Yeah, I think he's gone based on the timing of that because I think Aaron Rodgers could have controlled that narrative and that that may have been passive aggressive, but to me now nothing's been resolved. So mm. it's just plain aggressive. Almost two months later, I think he's played his last game as a Packer. Wow. Well, if he has, you mentioned two teams, and I think that. With Rogers, I was about to say they're the, they're the two most likely destinations, and maybe they are. And certainly, logic would prevail that both of those teams, in particular, would look at uh, a quarterback change more readily than many others. But then you talk about Aaron Rodgers, right? So I think most teams are in play. I mean, with the exception of Jacksonville, Cincinnati, and and, and Kansas City, and uh, maybe a handful of others. I think pretty much any team is theoretically in play, right? Oh, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's obvious I think there's always those levels of we are so in love with our quarterback or we love him because he's done great things in the past. So you're hesitant to move off Eli Manning and the Giants, Mm -hmm. right, would be a great example of that. 
Um, I think that element was there. Uh, late Joe Flacco in, and the Ravens for a long time. Yeah, that's exact. That's a great example as well. Like there's a sense of loyalty, even Big Ben. I mean, I think yeah. there's a loyalty in Pittsburgh to Ben Roethlisberger, who still can have his moments and still can get it done at various times. And and let's face it, they don't start that playoff game against Cleveland so disastrously. And some of that was the bad snap um, yeah, that, that yeah. rolled into the end zone. Um, I mean, you, you can't see a team start a playoff game a home playoff game, no less worse than, than Pittsburgh did in those 10 minutes. But yeah, there, there, and then there's just the, well, we kind of like him, but if you have an idea, Jared Goff would be that example for me with the Rams. Mm-hmm. If you have an idea as to how we can upgrade, we're all ears and we're listening. Like look at all the chit chat about Miami to, to a tongue of Iloa is the highest draft pick. I can't, since I can't think of when for the Miami Dolphins, they, they drafted Ryan Tannehill, which you mentioned eighth overall, Yeah, but you got to go way back and it wasn't David Woodley and it wasn't Dan Marino yeah. and Brady Quinn. Uh, he was a Cleveland Browns draft pick that yeah. ended up uh, there a little later. So I, yep. I, I can't think of who it is, but there was chatter all year that, well, they, they'll upgrade to it. Like, of course they'll try and do that. So mm. I think there's a, there's several teams that you look at and you say, there's not a real love affair going on with the quarterback and the head coach or the quarterback and the team infrastructure right there. Um, a bunch of them in the, are in the NFC East, obviously. I think I think the Giants would upgrade at the snap of a finger on Daniel Jones, even with an Aaron Rodgers that gave them only three or four more years. I think we agree Washington would be in the market. Uh, Chicago would have been before Justin Fields was drafted. So it's tough. I think Denver, Denver just seems to be that team. You tell me if I'm wrong, Nat. Denver just seems to be that team that everybody's isolating. And I know we're going to talk about Deshaun Watson Mm -hmm. and the potential for Denver later in this podcast. But the Broncos feel like the most obvious team that's going to have a different quarterback uh, in week one of this year than they did last year. I think so. And their their moves or lack of in the draft, I think, speaks volumes there as well. I I think the Raiders are the other interesting one. And it's one that, that baffles us. We seem to be, for many years now, flag bearers for the much maligned quarterbacks in the NFL. And we like Donald, we like Goff, we like Derek Carr. Uh, there was definitely something in that. I wonder why you and I both on that, on that tip, but uh, for, uh, for, from the start uh, and so obviously, and so evidently Gruden hasn't, hasn't clicked. It hasn't clicked there. And, uh, and I think that would be a very realistic option as well. I wonder what the price would be. What do you think Rogers is going to go for what the what the Packers are going to absolutely dig their heels firmly into that turf. So what are we looking at? Two first rounders? I think you're getting there. Yeah, I, I think you've got to do that. I think the uh, idea of Green Bay looking at Denver's roster and saying, we're going to take your best defensive player off it and the quarterback that you don't want that makes sense to me as well. Um, I think anywhere, you know, anywhere more than remember, uh, it, it's you're investing a lot in Aaron Rodgers because not just of what he gets paid, but what you're giving up. So if Green Bay wants to wants to roll with 24 year old Drew Locke next year, I mean, that's an obvious scenario where a player like that is going. Are they interested in like I'm thinking off the top of my head? Are they interested in Justin Simmons? Are they interested in, uh, you know, um, an Alexander Johnson? Maybe so uh, for their linebackers. The Packers linebackers could use some help, mm. but it ends up being about draft capital. Remember as well, as we talked about at the beginning with the Falcons, you give Aaron Rodgers to a team, all of a sudden that first pick's not going to look that attractive. Mm-hmm. That's it. You're just not going to draft in the top 15. Mm. You won't if you have Aaron Rodgers in his current um, incarnation. Uh, so they got to think about that as well. And I'm sure that's part of the discussion is, listen, you're, you're not just giving up a first round pick and going four and 12 or three and 13. 
you expect a win of your Denver. And mm-hmm. we've talked about this before. The intrigue period of, of that division um, and a bunch of games, six games all against each other with Derek Carr, um, you know, a, a scenario where you've got uh, you've got Patrick Mahomes and you've got Justin Herbert. And now you add Aaron Rodgers to that mix. It's it must see TV every week when there's a divisional game in the AFC West. Yeah, great point. Uh, NFL in Germany looks like it is a very a real thing. And we again, this is the theme of this show in many ways, that things that we expected to happen are now coming firmly into view. And this is. A nation that is a, has a significant NFL fan base, of course, was such a significant part, a major part of, of NFL Europe back in the day. We know how many Germany uh, German fans have rocked on over for games in London since 2007. But everything is official now. The NFL and uh, Brett Gosper, the head of UK and Europe, Alistair Kirkwood's successor, of course, uh, has rubber stamped it. The international series has become a highlight of the sporting calendar in the UK, but we're very excited about the development of our German fan base. And the time is right to identify a partner who can execute a game at NFL standards as part of our international growth strategy. So that's what the NFL is doing right now. It's scoping out st- city and stadium partners, ostensibly, to find the right fit. Berlin, I'm being told, uh, is very much front and center for for obvious reasons. Frankfurt, of course, has a great mm-hmm. uh, the a galaxy, great, yeah, the galaxy, right? So they got to be in the mix as well. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, somebody has whispered in my ear that that Berlin, in particular, is um, is uh, amongst the front runners. Uh, what does this mean, Greg, for NFL games in the UK? Because that's the obvious question that NFL UK fans are asking. Is it? Uh oh we're going to start to get less than we have been, or is it a case of, well, they've expanded the league. They've expanded the regular season. There are going to be more games to go around and therefore we'll still stay where we are and maybe even get more ourselves, but everybody or others get a slice of the cake too. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's hard to, I, I, I do think they've hit their peak. And sometimes when you say, well, that's hit its peak, that means that there starts to be a regression. But I don't think that. I think mm-hmm. four games, and and for many years, obviously, pre-COVID, there were four games in London. They moved from one to two to four, in essence. There might have been one year where they had three. Yeah. But I think that's, at a certain point, right, like the, the big stars, we were talking music early on, at a certain point, if you're selling out, you know, the O2 Arena or uh, Madison Square Garden two nights in a row, well, it's not like you're shrinking if you don't sell a, sell it out three on your next tour. You've established a presence in that market that you mm. know tickets get sold. So when I think about this, and you can imagine the amount of you know media colleagues I've had uh, in sports radio, in talk radio that say, how does it work over there? How did they do this? Mm. And I say they focused in on London. They obviously promoted it incredibly well. Um, you you got to spend money to make money. Sometimes advertisers, small businesses, uh, they know this listening to us right now that they're well aware that, uh, and especially nowadays, you better let people know you're not only you're out there, you're still out there, but you're ready for business. And the NFL did that by focusing in on London. So mm. the idea that 320,000 tickets would get sold that weren't overpriced, properly priced, or, the, or they wouldn't have sold 320000 The mm. idea that all of a sudden it's some failure that, well, now there's not five games, now there's not six games. Nat, you know this, without a London franchise, that's asking a lot because there are going to be repeat customers. There are going to be people that want to go to two of the four games somehow. And a lot of them were traveling. You saw the, you saw the jerseys, you saw... 
you saw old World League of American football and NFL yep. Europe jerseys, the Barcelona Dragons, right? And the Scottish Claymores. I, I watched those games on ABC on Saturday night in the summer. I love summer football if it could exist. But I would say that uh, the Germany's been waiting really patiently, almost too patiently. And this probably mm. was something that I wouldn't call it a correction, but it was probably something that should have happened pre-COVID mm. to get games over there, whether it's in Berlin, whether it's in Munich, wherever, because it, it really did carry NFL Europe for a lot of years when, yeah. there, when there wasn't a lot of activity um, in the United Kingdom specifically. There wasn't obviously in you know Spain or Portugal. I know there was. I mentioned that Barcelona team with that great logo. So I, I think they want to expand out. I think... The 17th game gives them a phenomenal opportunity, a little like the, the rumor, as you remember, of the 39th game in the Premier League. And right. though that got squashed, the idea of, of, you know, Liverpool playing against Fulham, not this next year, unfortunately, uh, Scott Parker, but Liverpool playing Fulham <laughs> at Soldier Field or uh, Spurs playing Chelsea at Giant Stadium. It's still a bit of a pipe dream. Maybe it does happen in our lifetime, but I think the NFL sees this opportunity and says we can utilize London, we can utilize you know, Berlin or Munich, Germany. We're going to come back to my city, Toronto. They certainly are going to come back. Uh, the Buffalo Bills played here a bunch of years in the uh, 2010, 2011 era. The Bills weren't a big draw. They weren't very good. They'd be much bigger now with how good they are. So, look, it was probably time to get back to Germany, and I'm glad that they are. You know, I remember talking to Alistair about this, about the International Series. Many times we talked about that, but about the International Series and Often, actually, when I would be doing a Q&A with him on, you know, a show like this or a radio show or whatever, when fans from all around the UK would understandably say, why is it always London? Why can't we get a game in Manchester, in Glasgow? What's this focus on London? And the answer was very reasonable and rational, which was, well, initially we had to create, um, we had to sell the idea. I mean, if you look at the, the chronology and the progression of the international series, it was a roll of the dice to do one and there was meant to be a, a gap of a number of years before the uk got another right but stars aligned and they got given a second game in 2008 and, and everything rolled but i think they was, wanted to drive field in 2008 i think yeah, that, that was, was part of it now they're like helped. let's let's see this when there isn't when, when there isn't a uh, pounding rain for 38 hours before the game and it before worked with a San Diego, New Orleans the next year. We got to drive field in the second year, finally. Drew Brees, O wins over Cleo Lemon most of the time, I think, uh, with, uh, with respect to the great Cleo <laughs> Lemon. The, um, yeah, and, th and this was it, that it was a gamble. What was it going to be like? We know that the NFL organizations hate any kind of distraction. They hate any kind of break from routine. They hate any kind of deviation from what they're used to and what they know. And this was the hard sell with an international game. What the hell is this going to do to my season traveling across the world? What's it going to be like? Am I going to have the proper practice facilities? All of these different questions. And gradually and steadily as more and more teams came over and the feedback was good. And of course it helped with the Giants <laughs> winning the whole thing, having come over the first year, which shot that argument uh, completely down that it would totally disrupt and derail a season. Quite the opposite as far as they were concerned. You talked to OC and the guys as well. The, uh, the togetherness that came out of that trip was seminal in, in their success, they say. So gradually steadily more and more and the big stakeholders in that room as well team owners that's they're buying in when you get craft when you get jerry jones eh, everyone else in that room tends to follow or to at least uh to, to roll along with it if they had reservations they button their lips but this is a big significant change because the process and whether it's at twickenham whether it's at spurs whether it's at wembley it's always in london right this is i think 
fair and logical move, as you say, because the German fan base is brilliant and they deserve a game. But if I'm in Manchester, if I'm in Glasgow, I'm not wild about this news. And and maybe this will change. Maybe that that is what will happen, that we'll see a, 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 an evolution and development of the games over here outside of London. Although I think commercially that would be a challenge with the Spurs stadium and, and with the Wembley deal, right? So I, I get it. But at the same time, I would understand if I'm listening to this show right now in other parts of the country, mm, what's going on here? So would you say, if I said that to you, because they've mostly been in, they've all been in all London. Been in London. Yeah. yeah, three different venues, right? We're talking now, Spurs Stadium, Twickenham, and, and Wembley. If I said to you, not two, because uh, you'll help me out with this. If I said there's two games in London, mm. there's one in Manchester, and there's one in Birmingham, mm-hmm. are they still, is there still the same demand, or do we see empty seats? Is some of the idea of, of because you're, then you, you can, you can't get the people coming from other countries as easily. Can you, you're not going to get, I, I would say you, you can you're gonna I have mean, to rent a car. Like it's London is obviously you can get in there. You, you can don't fly need to Manchester. People. Yeah. You can fly to, I hear you. And yes, probably London is the easiest in terms of that central gateway and access. But I think most European countries, if that's what we're talking about, I don't know that a lot of fans come from the States as well, but most European countries, you'll fly directly to Manchester, certainly Birmingham. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it would be, a, there would be an issue selling those, selling those games out at all, because I think what you might, uh, what you might lose in terms of ease of access for a certain parts of, of the fan base uh, internationally, you would gain from improving the access, obviously for those, those further up north. So I, and I think ultimately they deserve it, but I understand historically why there have been challenges and limitations as to why different countries aren't holding uh, uh, different cities rather aren't holding games. But I get it. Like I say, if I was looking at that right now, it would slightly frustrate me. Right. A couple of things from the mailbag, things from the mailbag, a couple of questions from the mailbag and we'll get out of Dodge. Uh, here's one from Colin Smith. Uh, incidentally at the NC show, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Colin, who is the most underrated team in the NFL? Greg Brady. Oh, most underrated team that we're looking at right now that I think, so this would be somebody I think is going to take a leap up. It's tricky, right? Like, well, yeah, I think Dallas, like Dallas, Dallas was six and 10, but mm-hmm. with no Dak Prescott. So I think their odds on favor to win the NFC East. I don't think they're underrated mm-hmm. just given where that particular, where that particular season was. I'm going to go with the Chargers because I, I, mm. I, I think we think Kansas City's just a uh, just a monolith in that division, and they're going to win the West for year after year after year, and they probably are. But I think the L.A. Chargers and Justin Herbert's second year, they lost a ton of close games. Um, I'd be shocked if they don't make the playoffs. And I know sometimes everybody says, well, this could be a playoff team, and that could be a playoff team. And then you wind up with 11 of the 16 teams, and, buddy, only six can make it. So, you know, are, are the Browns? In and then out are the Colts in and then out. Uh, I think the Chargers are a playoff team this year and a double-digit win team. So I'd say LA Chargers. I like that. I I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on the Browns actually. And you might say, well, they're a playoff team, so how are mm-hmm. they underrated? But I look at look at the odds for the Super Bowl. I think, and this Browns fans, I'm apologizing <laughs> right now for this, but I think they are genuine Super Bowl contenders. And I'm not sure enough people are talking them up as that. I think the Browns are gonna be really, really competitive for a deep playoff run next season and that so are they can, are they Kansas City's biggest threat to I you? think so I think uh, them well uh amongst them yeah I mean I think Buffalo have got to be in that conversation but right now uh and there's still a lot of twists and turns to happen but right now if I had to put my money down I would I would be leaning Cleveland I really would I think they'll be a better team than Baltimore I yeah. I, I just oh you know, yeah and, and that's not to knock Lamar Jackson but that's to suggest about the roster they make that huge trade this year so they've lost something 
in the in the present that they've moved to the future for. Uh, and I just think the Steelers, I don't know how they did it last year. Yeah. I don't. Um, I'm, and I'm, I'm praising them that they did do it starting 11 and 0. But a lot of close calls. They finish the season one and four and lose their opening playoff game, a home game, no less. I worry that we're going to see more of the Steelers. And you should never think the Steelers are going to be too terrible because they never are. They're never bad. They're well never coached. bad. They're never four and 12 or three yeah. and 13. But I do eight think. Eight, yeah, I, they got eight and eight, seven and nine written all over them, I think. And Brooke, yeah, Brooke, I feel that Brooke way Pryor, too. Um, was on ESPN. Brooke Pryor was on a show a few months back now. We were their franchise focus and the amount of change in that organization as well. Just go and have a look at the roster changes that Pittsburgh have had. Uh, I agree. I think that's a big part of it that divisionally, I think they're going to have an easier time than in, you know, the the last couple of years when they have been, it's obviously certainly last year contenders, right? So like, can they be last place? I don't know when the last time that happened was Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. You got Baltimore and Cleveland, which looked like, you know, bonafide Cleveland's a bonafide playoff team. Baltimore might not be. I, I don't know when the last time we saw the Steelers in last place in the AFC North was. It's They're been still, ages. We've got to get used to, by the way, they're 6-11 and 11 as opposed to 6-10. and 10. <laughs> don't <That's> forget. Right. <laughs> Yes, which gives me a better chance that the yeah. Chargers are double digits. Yeah. So don't hold that against me if they lose seven <laughs> games and still, and still win 10. I'm seeing, uh, I'm looking down because I had it in front of me. Mm. Um, they haven't been a last place team since 1969. And they were one in 13 that year in Chuck Knoll's first season. <laughs> They've never been last in a division that well, ever. Well, it went, look on the bright side, Steelers fans. It, if it happened for Chuck Knoll's first season, things got, things got markedly better. <laughs> after that. So, hey, things will be looking up, kiddo. Uh, at the touchdown. Hey, what a, that's a, that's a hell of a handle to, to land. So well done. Congratulations at the touchdown for, for getting that handle. Um, is this, well, you mentioned him a moment ago. Is this a make or break year for Zeke? Zeke Elliott, of course, the Cowboys. That returning after a so-so season from year. Zeke was, wasn't at the races at all, was he, last season? But you kind of understand why. It's yeah. a big year for Zeke, uh, for Saquon, of course, as well, coming back. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, Barkley's a great uh, – he's probably got the best odds for a comeback player of the year. I let that yeah, slip my mind yeah, a little bit for a Saquon Barkley. And Dak um, Prescott as well, of course, right? So, I mean – Oh, yeah, yeah. So, one of the two in the NFC East. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like, I, I look at Elliott and think – um, there's a 25 year old guy right there. He's getting paid a lot of money. We know it was a well publicized, uh, you know, contract. I wouldn't call it a holdout. Obviously he didn't miss games, but it was a spat in training camp that one year, I think mm. in 2018. And I look and I, I see a guy who still almost had a thousand yards, still averaged four yards a carry, but the struggle with the Steelers and that as any, or sorry, the Cowboys as any fan would know in the Andy Dalton starts, even the Prescott starts, they were two and three with Dak Prescott starting. They obviously lost him early in that fifth game, mm. but um, hard to believe that Ben DiNucci and Garrett Gilbert uh, made starts that year for the Dallas Cowboys. So there's, there's something I've, we will never, never discuss again. I've been obsessing about this ever since he came on the scene. And I know, and, and if anyone out there listeners that can help me point me in the right direction, I'm, I'm not sure there is, but if you can, I will love yeah. you forever. How many shirts did, Ben Danucci sell last season. I want to know how many shirts the Cowboys, <laughs> official Cowboys merchandise. Uh, I'm not interested in any kind of knockoff, the kind of t-shirts that Mike Carlson would buy on the way uh, back from a Super Bowl for $5 from a street band. I'm not interested in that kind of merch. I'm talking about They're those concert t-shirts you get yeah. outside the venue, not inside the venue, right? <laughs> the knockoffs. Those. I'm interested in proper replica jersey, Nooch merch. How many? I mean, do you think it was double digits? Hmm. 
No, no, I don't. I, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. It, what, did he? What did he sell one for every completed pass? Unfortunately, oh. coming twenty three completed passes in his three games. Did so. he sell more shirts than completed passes? The question I would like answered. Yeah, that's going to linger, uh, linger over us, uh, and we'll never have the courage to actually ask him if we speak to him because uh, you know you're in the NFL. You, you, yeah. that's a lot to be proud of. Oh, but the time. Elliot, the Elliot question is interesting because my point was they trailed in a lot of games. They mm. trailed in a lot of games, and it was up to Andy Dalton usually to bring them back in. And we saw the utter dysfunction and chaos and disorder in that division to where you're playing that final game and Dallas at six and nine could win the division. And, uh, and the giants at six, if Washington doesn't win their last game, you could add three teams at six and nine, six and 10 winning the division. So I, Mm. I, I just can't see it going that way for Dallas. I think they're I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. I think I don't think any Cowboys fan is under the illusion uh, or disillusion that they are. But nonetheless, um, that's going to be a better team. And Zeke's going to have a better season because they'll be able to roll with him more in the second half, because I think they'll be leading in more games than they were. Obviously, They'll be, they'll be watchable. I mean, they, you know, they, they're, they're always compelling for one reason or another. Right. Uh, uh, even with Garrett Gilbert under center, but they're going to be they're going to be a very a highly watchable team. Actually, thinking about it, Ben Danucci, let's end on that. Comeback player of the year. Lock it in right now. The Noosh. I've jinxed. I've jinxed Cleveland season. I've dissed yeah. the Noosh. Uh, and he's going to he's gonna rub egg in my face. Uh, it, you heard it here first. Hot take central. <laughs> well, is Jimmy G a comeback player of the year? Oh, sure yeah. is, isn't he? Yeah. If he gets the starts and gets the wins and and, the uh, and, hold, and yeah. holds off the rookie, right? If they get, if he gets the, well, it's self-perpetuating. If he gets the starts, gets the wins, he will hold off the rookie. They won't change if they're, if they're in playoff contention and Garoppolo's rolling, right? So yeah, yeah I think that's a great shout. I think it's a great shout and it is a nice and fine way to end uh, your latest appearance on uh, the show, Greg Brady. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, man. Look after yourself. I've enjoyed chatting to you. Enjoyed the reminiscences as well. Um, enjoy the sunny Toronto yeah, a high summer we're rolling into that. Is it is is it has been boiling hot in London the last couple of days? Are you experiencing the same kind of yeah, a ton of humidity. Um, this is more this is more open windows weather the last couple of days than uh than close the windows and doors. And um you you know what you know I'm an open window guy no matter what, mm-hmm. and you know you have a strong marriage when you, you just defer and you say you're right. The windows and doors have to be closed and the air conditioning has to be on. Wow. I don't know what it was, but I grew up with no air conditioning out in the country, Nat, out in the sticks, like You're a rural great. country house, if you will, uh, the Brady estate outside of London, Ontario. So we didn't know what air conditioning was until I was 20 years old. I like to think that when you are coming over to uh, to the UK for this much vaunted trip, we will, as well as going to see West Ham play, uh, we'll go on a bus because you and I will be in lockstep there that I will open windows on the bus, possibly get into some kind of aggro fight. If people are shutting windows, I will open them. I, I can count on you in my corner. Well, that's a weird one because opening the window in, uh, I wouldn't even say mixed company, any plural company, mm. there's always a person you've been in baseball press boxes. And sometimes there's a person that opens the window mm-hmm. and I like the window because then not every conversation, like it's like a library in a baseball press box. It's not busy. <laughs> like an American football press box. Right. You guys do press boxes fantastically because you're in the stands and you're in fresh air. That's all we crave now is fresh air. So right. when you've got a baseball press box and, You've, you're covering your third game in a row and you just hear bad jokes by jaded old baseball <laughs> beat writers. Um, oh, my gosh. You want the open air? You want to hear the sound of the crowd? 
anything. Yeah. And but but when you're the first person to open that window, yeah. 30 people stare at you. You've got you've just got to persevere. You got to move. Act dance like nobody's watching. You got to do that. <laughs> I love that. Brady, great to catch up with you. Look after yourself. Uh, if our listeners want to follow you on social media uh, at Greg Brady T.O. It's still there for now. Not you never know in this day and age, but it's still there. Nailed it first up. I'm sure I've got your your Twitter handle wrong so many times in the past. I'm proud <laughs> I've changed of changed it about four times. That's why. Was, so yeah, <laughs> that's why. We will be back uh, next week with more goodies. We've got uh, some great guests lined up uh, over the coming weeks at the NC Show for lots of extra bonus content uh, from. Tom, Marley, uh, Andy, and the uh, crew over on social video from this very episode as well. So you can see Mr. Brady in person too. So go and check that out. Uh, And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you listen to the show. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Fellow baseball nuts, join us on the Johnny and Josh show with my baseball brothers where JC will endeavor to offer some insightful analysis. And my friend Eric Jansen will... Offer quirky baseball trivia, but we also have David Langell who will combine a high level of inappropriateness with a low level of analysis. The Johnny and Josh Show, available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.